Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 59. It's December 16th, 2014. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Our mission here at the Wellsteading Podcast is to teach you wealth building principles and help you apply them in your life so that you can not only build your wealth and your net worth, but more importantly, so you can attain personal freedom. Today, we're going to take a break from talking about the stock market. The U.S. market remains turbulent. As I mentioned in previous podcasts, we're going to wait and see what happens on Wednesday after the Federal Reserve has their press conference. We know what they're going to say. The Fed is going to say whatever they can to paper over problems and to try and put people at ease. So what we're watching for is Wall Street's reaction. Is Wall Street buying it hook, line, and sinker? Are they buying into it? Are they agreeing to participate again in the mass delusion that everything's okay? We'll know that by the reaction we get in the stock market. If we see a big surge, not only with the rise in stocks going up, but also in, in high and heavy volume, a lot of trading, then we'll know that Wall Street likes it. And if that happens, then we'll probably assume that things will probably go on at least status quo or maybe the same. We could see a big bounce. Uh, who knows? As I mentioned before, we really want to watch and see how the S&P does around its 50-day moving average. If it bounces up high above that, possibly could be a, an entry point for you. I'm not making any recommendations or offering any advice. Personally, at this point, I'm not planning on getting back in the market at all this week. I really want to see how the week closes out and how things settle in on Friday. There's a lot going on around the world. Russia overnight had to raise their interest rates up to 17% just to keep their currency from imploding. China, India, other uh, emerging and developing markets still under pressure. European stock markets seem to be doing well today, but they've had a rough week or so. So for right now, I've taken my profits. I will most likely sit the year out, but we'll have to wait and see what happens. Anyways, I don't want to discuss that today. What I want to focus on today is some listener questions that asked about how to get a raise as an employee. You're going to want to listen in today's episode, even if you're not an employee or even if you're not going for a raise in 2015, because you're going to want to hear what I have to say about being productive. And if you're an employer, this might also be the kind of episode that you want your employees to listen to, or you might want to refer it to someone when they're asking you for a raise. So let's get started. Usually you'll hear me speak about starting your own business, particularly a small business. You know I'm a real fan of, of entrepreneurship, and I think that's the best path to build wealth. However, I also know that it's not right for everybody. It doesn't fit everybody's personality. There are also times in your life where you just can't make it happen. You either don't have the seed money to get started or it's just not the right time in your life. I mean, I totally understand that. I totally get it. I spent many, many decades working for someone else. So I, I definitely understand what it's like to be an employee. And so that's why in this episode, I do want to focus on things you should think about in order to maximize the salary or the amount of money that you can get paid per hour. So if you want to make more money in 2015 as an employee, then you need to have a strategy. Ultimately, you're going to have to sit down with your boss and discuss it with him or her. But you'll want to go into that meeting forearmed and prepared. And so that's what we want to talk about first. So step one is to prepare for that meeting. And here's what you want to do. Get out a scratch paper and write down exactly what your compensation is. And I don't mean just what your take-home pay is. I don't mean what it is you know, before taxes. You can start with that. Write down what pay you're getting before taxes. And then you're going to have to go in and factor in additions to that. Because although you think you're paying all your taxes, you're not. Your employer, at a minimum, is picking up the other payroll taxes um, that he subsidizes for you on Social Security and Medicare. That's probably another 6 6.5% of your salary. But for your purposes, you can just go in and look and see whatever you're paying for Social Security and Medicare and write that in. Your employer is also probably paying things like workman's compensation. 
That really varies widely from state to state. I don't know, throw in another percent or two for that. And then all the benefits he may be providing to you. If you're getting health care and dental and things like that, you're probably talking something north of $20,000. It all depends if you're under an individual plan or family plan. If you want to try and estimate that, Google some things that relate to the Affordable Care Act. You know, that's Obamacare. You can either go directly to healthcare.gov, which is the government's website, but I wouldn't recommend that. That's pretty cumbersome. I think there's a Kaiser Permanente uh, website out there that's pretty good. But if you Google a phrase like Affordable Care Act Premiums, something like that, play with that, probably find a Kaiser Permanente site, and then you'll be able to plug in where you live and what your income levels are, how many people you're trying to insure, and they'll give you a rough estimate on what your health insurance would be through Obamacare. So you can use that as just a guideline to possibly what your employer's paying. You'll at least get a feel for it. Now, remember, when you do that, you're not going to be taking out the Obamacare subsidy that it may or may not tell you you would get. You're, you're looking for that full uh, price of insurance. But you should be aware that these benefits are very expensive and you do want to factor that in because even though you don't see that in your paycheck, your employer is factoring that in as a cost of having you fill that position. Well, if you add those benefits and those taxes up to your your regular uh, income, you may think, hey, that's a lot of money, but you're not done yet. You've also got to factor in the other things that your employer provides you. You know, the general overhead for the business, does your employer provide you with an office or a desk or a computer? You know, what other tools does your employer provide you? And that includes not only the fixed assets that you look around and see, but it includes all the goodwill of the business, the advertising, the marketing, the way that the employer brings in the clients to that business, the customers of that business that ultimately trickle down to whatever your function is within the company that you have to serve. I mean, all that is something you have to take into consideration. And I realize that's something that's probably going to be impossible for you to estimate. But what I'm trying to get you to do is think like an employer and not like an employee. A typical employee thinks that his boss is paying him what that take-home paycheck is. But that's not the case at all. Employees are much more expensive than that. That's the purpose for this exercise. I'm trying to get you to think of that, what your full compensation burden is, and then everything the boss brings to that. Because what I want you to think of is, again, think of yourself as an employer. If you were self-employed, if you were a freelancer, what would it cost you to accomplish your job? So that's not only your income and the taxes and your benefits, but it's also all those tools that you require to get that job done, including finding the customers, including, you know, software, enterprise computer systems, uh, you know, whatever kind of fees and different regulatory things you would have to pay to be in that business. If you were manufacturing the product that you make or providing the service that, that your company offers, you know, what would it cost you to actually deliver that all the way to the customer and what percentage of that goes into what you do? That's what you want to figure out. And it's going to be a big number. And again, that's what I want you to understand. So if you think that your boss is kind of a cheapskate because he's only paying you $10 an hour, well, chances are with benefits and taxes and all those overhead things I mentioned, all the customer support functions built into that, your true cost, the true operational cost of an employee, instead of being $10 an hour, is maybe like $30 an hour. And that doesn't even include his profit. Because you have to remember, your boss is only employing people to make a profit. He's not doing it out of the goodness of his heart. So again, the point of this exercise is not so much that you come up with a you know, bottom line number, but for you to go through the iteration of understanding that your total compensation package is a whole lot more than what you're taking home every, every week or every two weeks. Here's the point though. When you come up with that number that you think is pretty close with an employee full compensation burden, then I want you to look at that number and honestly ask yourself, and this is tough, this is a, a self-assessment that you have to make. Look at that number and look at it on an annual basis or whatever that number is. It might be $50,000 for some of you. It might be a million dollars for others of you. Whatever that number is, honestly ask yourself, 
Is your employer getting that amount of money out of you? Are you producing that amount of income to your company? Because the bottom line on all this is, is that's what's required. That's what's required for you to hold that position or for anybody to hold that position. Your boss isn't doing this for a charity. His company, and again, whether it's a governmental organization, a nonprofit, or a for-profit company, a small business, or a large corporation, it doesn't matter what it is. Every employee has to produce more than whatever that, that total employee burden is. So look at that number and really take it to heart. Think about it. Are you delivering that value to your company? If you're not delivering that amount, then one thing is your job is in danger. If you're not producing at least as much as what it's costing them to employ you with all the benefits and everything rolled into it, then ultimately your job is at risk and at some point they could get rid of you. They could downsize, they could fire you, they could eliminate your position, call it whatever you want. But at some point, and this usually happens when the country goes into a recession or, or when a particular industry is you know, upon hard times, they have to go in and they have to reduce headcount so that the company can remain solvent and liquid. And they do that by eliminating positions that are taking more than they're producing. So when you honestly assess yourself and you determine that you're not fully producing that amount, and it's going to be a big number. Like I said, it's going to be three, four, maybe five times what your actual salary is once you add all those taxes and benefits and things into it. So if you're not meeting or exceeding that number, that means that you're not providing your employer with the full value of your position. So you need to start doing some self-assessment here. Should you start looking for another job because ultimately you're not going to last there? Should you try and step up your game and figure out a way that you can be more productive? And let me step back here too because I'm not implying that you're, you're a lazy worker or you're you know, willfully not producing. I mean, this is just a matter of supply and demand, the law of economics. If you're receiving more in pay to do a job than what that job is actually creating for the company, then that's an imbalance. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're incompetent or that you're not doing your job right. It just might mean that your job is unproductive. That's how people get replaced with automation. That's how robotics or different things come in and replace employees. It isn't that the employees were doing a bad job. It isn't that they were slacking off. It isn't even that they changed the way that they were doing things. Maybe they've been doing the same thing for 15 or 20 years. It's just that automation caught up with them and can do a better job at a lower price. So when I say maybe you should, you know, think about what you can do to be more productive or step up your game. Again, I'm not saying that you were, you were slacking off or being lazy previous to this. I'm just saying that, hey, you should look around and see if there's a way you can add value to your employer because at some point, and it may be a year down the road, it may be 10 years down the road. But if your productivity isn't keeping up, they're eventually going to get rid of you. That's why you might want to start looking for another job now. That's why you might want to start retraining either so you can do more with your current employer or so you'll be prepared when you get laid off to go work somewhere else. The other thing you want to do is when you look at that number and you realize you're not as productive as you thought you were and your employer perhaps isn't getting as much out of you as you thought he was. Again, this is where you have to be honest with yourself. That's when you don't want to go have that meeting with your boss and ask for a raise. Because you might be under the radar right now. You may be a good employee. Things may be going along fine. Even if you're not that productive, they're not going to make a big federal case out of it. But if you go in there and you start asking for a raise or demanding a raise or you start causing trouble, they're going to say, hey, we're paying this guy more than he's worth anyways. When we have to cut fat, let's start with him. You see, you'll become the unnecessary cargo that they throw overboard. So that's why you want to go through all these steps before you have that meeting with your boss. Now, on the other hand, though, you may crunch that number and you may say, hey, I produce more than that. I'm a highly productive employee. I'm a rainmaker, right? You may be a salesman that consistently, you know, brings in multi-million dollar contracts for your company. You may be the source of, of most of their revenue. You may be their best machinist or the best machine operator, or you may be their number one uh, diagnostician or, or whatever it is you do. 
Next step is, how marketable is your skill? Can you take that across the street to the competitor and get paid at a higher rate there? Can you take it across the street to another business that's not a competitor, but it's a similar enough industries where your skills would carry over? Or can you, again, take that across the street to another business that's not a competitor, it's totally in a different industry, but it doesn't matter because what you do is specific to that function. For example, if you're an accountant, right? If you're an accountant, it doesn't matter so much whether you're working for a manufacturing company or whether you're working for a services company. Your skill is in accounting and knowing tax rules and regulations and things like that. And of course, you know, you would be more valuable if you probably continued in your same industry because you're more familiar with it, but obviously those skills would transfer. So that's that next step. Determine how marketable your position is. Can you go out and get paid more than you're getting paid now to do that job? Since you've clearly determined that you're worth more than you're getting paid, fully loaded, now you have to understand whether or not anybody's going to really pay you for it. And again, if no one's going to pay you for it, if you can't think of anybody you know locally that's willing to pay you more than you're being paid now, or if you're unwilling to move across town or across country or, or wherever, to get a higher salary or higher income for what you're doing, if you're unwilling to do any of that or it can't be done, then again, I don't think you want to have that conversation with your boss. I don't think you want to push him or her for a raise because again, if they push back and eliminate your position, then you're going to be out on the street and you're going to be worse off than you are now because you're not going to be able to generate the same or, or more income. There's no doubt in my mind that many of you in this audience, you're not only producing more than you're being paid, those skills are highly transferable and you could go somewhere else and receive a higher income. Well, if that's the case and you have to be prepared to do that, you have to be prepared to walk across the street and work for the competitor or travel across town or move across country. But once you've made that determination that you do have that marketable skill, then you can produce more than you're compensated for. And once you've committed to the fact that you're willing to take that next step and leave your company if need be, then the next thing that you have to do is sit down with a, a separate sheet of scratch paper and begin writing out all those productive things that you do. And I don't mean things like where you went to school or what your pedigree is or what, what type of certifications or licenses you have. Even if those things are important, I mean, if you're an attorney and you pass the bar, well, that's obviously important, but you wouldn't be getting compensated as an attorney if you hadn't. So none of that matters. And ultimately, even if you went to a big Ivy League school or something, probably doesn't matter as much as you think it does at this point in your career. So write down all those reasons you're productive, the real reasons. Write down all those reasons you're a rainmaker. Why can you bring clients in like nobody else can? Why can you operate the piece of machinery better than, than anybody else can? And not only why, but give examples of it. Give examples of the clients that you've brought in if you're in sales. Or give examples of the fine craftsman-like work you do as a machinist or as an operator. How how efficient or, more, or how more productive your line is than anybody else's in the facility. You need hard, concrete examples. And if you don't have any, again, then maybe it's not the time to go to your boss and demand a raise. Be honest and true to yourself as you as you go and do this self-assessment. Now, this may seem really hard, but it's critical that you do it. And once you get started with it, it probably won't be as hard of a task as you, as you think it was when you first started. But what you're going to do is you're going to come up with a list of why you're productive and how you produce income. And when you have that list, and only when you have that list, that's the time that you make an appointment with your boss, with your employer. You sit down with your boss and you lay it out for him or her. You explain to them that you're appreciative that you have a position there, that you're looking forward to whatever it may be, you know, working another 10 years till retirement, or if you're, you know, young and you're just starting your career, how you're, how you're very appreciative that they've hired you and how you're looking forward to, you know, developing and growing with them, you know, throughout your career. 
but you also point out to them that you're requesting a raise. Maybe you're a commission salesman and you're going to ask for a higher commission rate. Maybe you're an hourly employee and you're going to ask for so much more an hour. Maybe you're in manufacturing and you get paid by a certain piece rate or a certain efficiency rate. Well, maybe you want to get that rate raised to a different level. Again, whatever it is, make it appropriate for your form of employment, for whatever your contract is, and be able to speak intelligently and rationally with your employer and lay out the case. Explain to them that you're requesting that they consider you for a raise, that your current compensation is X and you think it should be Y, and here's the reason. And then that's when you pull out your list and in a very formal way that would be appropriate for your position and for the organization and the culture of where you work, you lay out the facts and you provide only the facts and you run down your list and you explain to them how valuable you are. And again, remember, you're not justifying your $80,000 salary. You're explaining to them that you're bringing in three or five or 10 times that. So although you're making $80,000, you're justifying the fact that maybe you're bringing in $800,000. And that's why you're asking for the increase. And again, it's just a request. You're not making a threat. You're not demanding. And this also is not about your needs. You're not going to go in there and tell them you need to make X dollars an hour or that you need a raise or that your kids are in college and you need to spend more money or whatever. Your wife just had a new baby and you need more income. It's not about your needs at all. Remember, this is about your production. That's what you're going in there. You're going in there to request a raise to fully compensate you because you were an overproducer. That's why it was critical that you went through all these other tasks previously to, in fact, know that you're productive, to, in fact, know that you're an asset to that company, and to, in fact, be able to lay it out to them so that they can't dispute it. Because once they see those numbers, if you were true and accurate, then they won't be able to dispute them. And so there'll ultimately only be three outcomes to your request that you that you receive a raise. One, they will give you what you ask for. The other alternative is they will negotiate with you and say, well, you asked for X and we understand that, but we can only afford to pay you Y. And they so they, you know, they'll negotiate with you, maybe give you half or three quarters of what you want or something. And the final thing is they just may say outright no. And they could say, well, no, not this year, but next year, or they could give you some goals to achieve or whatever. So there's really only three outcomes though, right? They're either going to meet your request, they're going to negotiate your request, or they're going to deny your request. And remember, you want to approach this rationally. This is a business proposition. You don't want to argue or fight. You don't want to cause any hard feelings. You're going in there with a request and you know you're going to receive one of three types of outcomes. Be prepared for each one of them. Be prepared to negotiate for that raise. You should go in there with with an ultimate number in your head that you that you're willing to accept. And finally, you should go in there prepared to accept that third consequence, that third outcome, which is that they're going to deny your request. And again, you do it gracefully. You do it professionally. You take all the emotion out of it. Because remember, if you've done your homework and you've been honest and true, and you really are truly productive and you really have assessed everything, and you've looked at the opportunities, and you know that you're marketable, you know that your skills would transfer over to another company. If all those things are true, then your employer is going to know them as well, and you've laid out everything for them, and they've denied your request. And at that point, that's when you need to be prepared to carry out your backup plan of interviewing with competitors or like businesses or whatever industry you thought that you could transfer your skills to and go get a job. You don't have to go into that initial meeting with your employer, you know, with a job offer in hand from another company and say, hey, if you don't match this, I'm going to leave. Because remember, you didn't go in there confrontationally. 
You went in there very professionally. You laid it out for them. And when they turned it down, you didn't get nasty about it. If you do all those things, I think the chances of them turning you down are, are, are very slim. I think what would be more likely to happen is they are going to negotiate and they're going to say, hey, let me talk to my boss about it or let me, you know, give me three weeks to work on this or whatever. And you, you give them that time because remember, you have not yet gone out and looked for another job that you haven't done that step yet. You're also not under any pressure because you you uh, don't have a deadline where you have to accept another position because you haven't gone out and negotiated that yet either. But you've put everything out on the table, and if they choose not to compensate you appropriately, then that's when you take that final step, and then that's when you step out into the marketplace and you try and get a job somewhere else. Based on my own experience in the in the marketplace, I think that these steps are what you need to do in that order if you do want to get a raise. And the reason I say that you do them in this order and you go to your employer first rather than directly going into the marketplace is that whenever you switch jobs, there's always a cost associated with that. Now, I don't want to downplay switching jobs. Believe me, I've switched many, many a job in my life. And, and looking back over my career, I wish I'd have switched even more. I am definitely a big proponent of switching companies every two to five years, depending upon the industry and what type of job you have. That is clearly, in my opinion, the fastest and easiest way to get higher compensation because the competitor across the street will almost always pay you more than your existing employer. It's, it's just the way human nature works. So I'm not at all opposed to leaving your current job. But before you take that step, do go through the process that I talked about. Do talk to your current employer. Because again, as I say, there is a cost to you by leaving your current job. You may leave money on the table when it comes to your pension plan or some type of matching retirement program they have with you. When you go to your new employer, the uh, benefit package may not start right away and that could, you know, cause a, a difficulty in your life. When you go to the new employer, there's there's a move associated, right? Even if it's just across the street, you still have to move into a new office. You meet new people. Um, you know, you're outfitted with new new tools or whatever. There's a cost to all that. There's a personal cost involved. If you have to move across town or across country, you know, physically pick up your family and move them somewhere, that's a huge cost. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm not saying it's not worth it. I'm just saying that there are these other costs involved, and they might be hard to quantify on a dollars and cents basis. And so before you make that move, make sure you're maximizing your compensation of where you're at. And then ultimately in two or three or five years when you do move, when you do go on to another company, if you choose to take that route, you'll be leaving your current employer from a higher salary base anyways. And so that new job will provide you even additional income. Think about these things that I've discussed today. Ultimately, the two points that I want to make are as an employee, you must be productive. And then the second point is that you have to take that productivity message and you have to communicate it out into the workplace. You need to make sure your current employer knows that and you need to make sure that your former employer knows that before you're going to get a raise or in fact maybe even what you're going to need to do to justify your current position so that you're not the one that's laid off and in a downturn. That's the bottom line. One of our wealth building principles is that production is the source of wealth. And even if you're an employee, and you don't ever want to be an entrepreneur, you at least need to think in terms of productivity and make sure that you're producing as much as possible and that your employer is aware of it. Some other episodes that go along with today's theme and you might want to go back and reference would be episode number nine. That's the ninth wealth building principle, which is about being a giver. And then episodes 22, 23, and 24, I covered those over Labor Day. That talks about getting the job you love and you know getting compensated for it. And then finally, most recently at Thanksgiving, I did episode 29. That carries on the theme of the ninth wealth building principle about being a giver. So you might want to check those episodes out as well. 
Well, that'll wrap it up for today. Again, I wanted to take a break from talking solely about the stock market. As always, if you have questions or concerns or issues or you want to get me a message, you can do that at the website, which is wealthsteading.com. Until next time, this is John Pagliano wishing you the very best of returns.